0: Our scripture lesson today comes from the Good News of the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Let's hear these words of the Lord. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Is anything worth more than your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? Oh, come on, people. This is not hard. Is anything worth more than your own soul? No, of course not. This is the you, the real you. Now, I'm going to try and experiment, which is kind of tricky on a sleepy Sunday, but I want you to imagine with me this those last peaceful moments before you fall asleep. So you maybe close your eyes and you, you, know, you blink your eyes just a few times before you fall asleep and you rest well through the night. There's no tossing or turning. Somehow you come to realize that you are well rested. Yes, very well rested. And you've been asleep a long, long time. And you get more clear-headed. You wake up and you feel fresh. Your body has no aches or pains. You, You think very clearly now. And as you head down the hall to get your morning cup of coffee, feeling great, fully refreshed, you see your grandma in the kitchen baking. And she waves to you and she smiles to you. And then you look over and there's your grandpa sitting in his chair, reading the paper as he always did. And you think to yourself, well, that's weird. Grandma and grandpa passed away years ago. Oh, I must be dreaming. I must still be really enjoying my sleep. I'm going to wake up now, and I'm going to wake up now. No, no, really, I need to wake up now. And no, you realize you're not sleeping. You're dead. You're dead. What comes to mind to you next? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I bet it's not the election on Tuesday for once. Isn't that great? You just reset, right? Right, The things of the earth, they make no difference when it comes down to the matters of life and death. The things that everybody else says is important isn't important when you come to that moment. When you transfer from this life to the next life for all eternity. That soul, the real you. Jesus says, what does it profit you if you gain everything on this earth but you lose yourself? You lose yourself. When Jesus is referring here to soul, what that means is the real you. Perhaps you've been shopping or out or at a reunion somewhere and you see a friend that you've known for 20 years and it's now 20 years later past that point and you somehow recognize them even though they are 50 pounds heavier or 50 pounds lighter or with different color hair or with no hair. But yet you know them. How is that? There's something about all of us that is undeniable. It's who we are at our core. It's how we treat others. It's who we have become. Who are you becoming? It is this something, the real us that we call our soul, that lasts forever and ever and ever for millions of millions of years. So what does Jesus mean when he says that our soul is something that we can lose? Can you actually lose the real you? Have you ever lost yourself? Could this describe someone that you know? Have you ever been in that place where you went to work and you did your job and you came home and you went to bed and you felt nothing? Not one feeling, not moved. There's nothing that moved your soul all day long. You saw a person in need, you walked right by. There was a friend that you knew really needed to talk to you and you blew them off. The Oklahoma sunset was a perfect combination of purple and orange and pink. And on your drive home from downtown, you cursed the sun in your eyes. Because it bothered you from doing what you needed to do that evening. You see, you can still have a pulse and be dead inside. To have lost your soul, to have lost your way, to have lost life that really is life. It is actually possible to trade the real you and a glorious life that God has awaiting for you simply for the accumulation and maintenance of stuff. Left unchecked, the grind of acquiring and maintaining all these things of earth can lead us not only to lose our way, to become depressed, to be anxious, but to actually desiring evil, where we are willing to harm others to get our way, to protect our stuff. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out. And point one is this. There's only one corrective for this, friends. And there is only one sin, just one, in all the universe, and it is the self-will which prefers my way to God's, which puts me in the center, which is God's rightful place. And with ourselves in the center, just get ready for the pain. Because that's, that's what happens. Now, in stark contrast, the model that's lifted up in the Bible is Jesus' own mom. Mary, on the other hand, says, My soul, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. It's not about self. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He has looked with favor on the lowliness of a servant. Imagine a 13, 14-year-old girl who is pregnant. In first century Palestine, crying out that my soul rejoices in God because you're taking care of me. She goes on to say, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one, God himself, has done great things for me. Great things. And holy is his name. Ultimately, we want to say, like Mary and the psalmist, as a deer pants for water. So my soul longs for God. For you, oh God, my soul longs for you. It's not about me and the things of earth and down here in the rat race. My soul longs for you. That's possible. It prepares us for heaven to spend all eternity with the Lord. At the top of your sermon notes, you have a quote from Dallas Willard that I think is exactly right. He says, we must never forget, friends, never forget that the indispensable first step in caring for the soul, for the real you, is to place it under God in its rightful place. Jesus would say in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. You don't have to worry about anything as long as God is in his rightful place first. With God leading, we place our soul under his wonderful protective care. How is it with your soul? That's the question of Methodists. How is it with your soul? That's what John Wesley would ask his people. How is it with your soul? Not how's your day, not what your circumstance, not what you're going through. Because how is it with your soul? Because your soul is forever. Forever. And if the current state of your soul is for the glorification of self, what will you do when there is no more self to glorify? When there is no body or home or family to glorify? However, if your soul is in a state to glorify God... Then to be in God's presence without ceasing will be the most wonderful experience possible beyond our imagining. Choose well, friends. And as you look at your life, does it glorify God? Does what you do and say and spend money on and live in your time, does it glorify God? Or does it glorify self? That's really what we're wrestling with, our whole life, our whole self. But how do we do this? How do we prepare our soul to live with God? First of all, let me say this, not all at once. If you're really worried at the moment, don't don't worry, don't freak out. It's not all at once. It's something that happens over time. We work out our salvation, the scripture says, with fear and trembling. It's not all easy and roses at baptism. No, we live into, we mature. It takes a struggle to live into our faith. But we don't do it all at once. We can mature and be transformed over time. That's, That's the goal of the Christian life is to look more and more like Jesus. To sound more like Him. To do the things He did. To say the things He said. To be a person of grace and kindness and mercy and healing. Not all at once, friends. We get to mature. St. Francis, all the way back in the 16th century, was a Catholic priest and a bishop. And he knew this. He, he knew there were stages to our development in faith. And DeSolace wrote that our initial experience of God occurs when our soul first experiences grace. And, and some of you have, have done that recently. And for some of us, it's been a long time. But in those moments, DeSaul compared people at this initial state of grace, at the very beginning point, as an ostrich, of all things. He says an ostrich can run, but cannot fly. I mean, they would be really fast. They zoom around. And he says similarly, if a person receives God's love and grace, but doesn't have the devotion to respond to God in some way, the person cannot fly. We never get up off the ground. We never go and go where God wants us to go, because we're simply about what God can give me. And it looks like crazy ostriches running around. We want to get something from God, but we're not willing to give ourselves to Him. And and so we can't break the gravity of the world, not even for a moment. We spend our time desperately looking for new ways to receive God's love and mercy, new worship experiences, or new churches, or new small groups, or new curriculum, or new discipleship pathways that somehow maybe we'll get off the ground. And the answer is we will not get off the ground until we submit our whole self to God completely, totally. That's how we fly. It's time to fly, friends. It's time to take off and let God take us where God wants to. But if we choose to keep our feet on the ground, then that's where they stay. And it's chaotic and it moves around like an ostrich, DeSalis says. All the way back in the sixteenth century. Dallas DeSalis goes on to say that there's another step, and that's when we start to get a tiny bit of occasional acts of goodness and charity. You know those times around Christmas or around Easter or a birthday where you find yourself, you actually do something good, and you feel great about it. You're like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to do. I can feel it. I know it in my bones. I, I've given to a short-term mission, or I've gone and done this, or I've done that. I feel great about it. Dasala says these people are chickens. We've moved up from ostrich to chickens. These are hopping chickens. That, that's it. Whoop. That, that's it. Just, just that far. I mean, I did something good, I went to Easter service, or I went to Good Friday, or, you know, I went to Christmas Eve candlelight, boop, that's it, though. You see, chickens can fly, but they're always limited in some clumsy way. Chickens spend the vast majority of their time where? In the air or on the ground. On the ground. They can get up for a second, but it's just for a second. They can only break free from gravity for that short time before they return to earth. And a lot of Christians live their life this way, and they think, golly, this isn't working for me. That's exactly right partial devotion to god does not work it's just like hopping chickens just a little bit here a little bit there it's no way to live the is quoted as saying this he says in like manner sinners in no way fly up towards god but make their whole course here upon the earth and for the earth when when our concern is god what can you do for me how can you bless me what is going on here on the earth is if that's your focus we're just chickens That's what he says. Good people who have not yet attained to devotion to fly towards God by their good works, but they do so infrequently, slowly, and awkwardly. But he says there's another way to live, the way that God calls us to live, and that is that we can take flight as naturally as an eagle, where we dedicate our whole life to God, where we can learn to serve God with all that we have, all of our abilities, all of our time, all of our strength, all of our resources. Such people are generous for God, We recognize and celebrate God's generosity to us, and then we can share it with others. These devout souls, DeSala says, ascend to God frequently and promptly and lofty in flight. Which one do you want to be? Ostrich, chicken, or an eagle? It's all available to us, friends, but it has to do with where our eyes are and whether we submit ourselves to God. He said, well, how do we do this? I, I think the reason that people never move from ostrich to eagle is that it costs. There's real cost. To defy gravity, friends, to soar in the heavenly realms requires what? Sacrifice. It just does. I, I challenge you to show me anyone on the earth that, that works at a high level, any uh, professional athlete, uh, or artist that doesn't put in incredible amounts of time, energy, and resources to be the best at what they do. If you want to soar with the eagles, it requires what? Sacrifice. It just does. For runners and lifters and athletes and artists and singers and songwriters and, and for all the people in the world. If, if you've ever started a business, you got to be all in. You, you don't play with that. If you want to do something great with your life, if you want to have a great marriage, you got to be all in. This is, this is the way it is with the Lord. And even then, even when we get to be an eagle, and some of us have been there from time to time, and some of you are there right now, and it's a great and beautiful thing. But even then, the Chinese proverb says, An eagle that chases two rabbits goes hungry, for he cannot catch both at once. And so sometimes even when we're soaring, we, our eyes go back to earth and go, oh, that'd be nice. And then we try to chase other things and we're back into that ostrich stage. That's how it works. For, for life to be the soaring ego that God in, intends it to be, we have to give up control and say to God, your way, not mine. So the question for us is, what rabbit are you chasing? I, mean, I encourage you to fill that in uh, before you get home today. What rabbit are you chasing? What is it that's keeping your eye Off of the Lord and the beautiful life that He has for you. What rabbit are you chasing? Because an eagle that chases two rabbits goes hungry. You can't catch both at once. You just can't. So, how do you know? How do you know how your soul's doing? This thing that's real you that's going to live forever. How do you know? John Ortberg, in his work with Dallas Willard, basically boiled it down to two questions. He says, Am I growing more easily discouraged? Am I growing more easily discouraged? You see, because at the core of flourishing in our soul are two things, the love of God and the peace of God. Am I growing more easily discouraged? And you you can circle one, yes or no. Am I growing more easily irritated? Yes or no. Because this tells you how much the peace of God or the love of God or our understanding of who God is really rests within us. For me, the litmus test is really easy. I, I pull up to a red light in the right lane behind somebody who's got their blinker on, but they don't go. They just sit there, and I know how I'm doing with God in that moment. Seriously, just get in the left lane, right? I mean, come on, you can go, you can go. But the thing is, if I'm right with God, I'm not discouraged by that. I'm not irritated by that because I understand God's providence and God's life in my life. I'm not worried about that. But if, if all of a sudden the, the worries of the world are on me and what I'm going to do and if I'm going to be late to a meeting or this, that, other now I'm irritated because someone else is in my way for what I want done. But if I submit my will to what God wants done anyway, then I'm not irritated because I'm simply moving in God's will. I'm not discouraged because my hope is in God, not in myself, not in my circumstances. And God says, friends, you don't have to worry about any of this. Test me. Trust me. I will help you. I am good. I am God of the universe, King of kings and Lord of lords. So point three is this, test God with your life and see what happens. Trust God with your life and see what happens. The prophet Malachi in chapter three says this, it's it's quite pointed, but it should be freeing to us. Malachi says this, will anyone rob God? And we say, along with the thousands of years of other people, uh, we're not robbing you. And he says, yes, yes, you are in your tithes and offerings, tithes being 10% of what you own, what you have today and your offerings. Those things above a tithe, above those 10%. You are cursed with a curse because you're not living into that full life I have for you. You're robbing me, the whole nation of you, Malachi says. Then he says this, bring the full tithe to 10% into the storehouse, into that place where you worship, so that there may be food in my house, God says. And thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will take care of you, God says. I will take care of you. You don't have to worry. I will take care of you. Put me first and I will take care of you. Everything you need, I will take care of you. We understand that God is always faithful. Over nearly 20 years here now at at this place, we find that God is faithful. Year in, year out, God God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And when we give to God, God is faithful. That's how that works. We're so convinced that, Jeff Hedrick, raise, raise your hand, Jeff. Jeff is our business administrator. One of the things we love to do, and we've seen this work many, many times, is that people who are afraid, they're like, I, don't, I just don't know. I've never done this. This seems so otherworldly to me. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I'm scared about it. We will say to you, look, if you work with Jeff, and, and, you, and you let us know the date you're starting tithing, for 90 days we will put every gift that you give to the church in escrow. And at the end of those 90 days, if God has not been faithful to you, if you don't have a place to live, uh, food um, in your belly, a roof over your home um, and uh, over your head, and, and a way to get medical care, uh, we'll give you your money back. We just hope we just give it right back to you. And, and over many years of doing this, we've never had that happen. We've had young couples in their 20s Uh, do this we've had kids that wanted to learn how to tithe do this we've even had people in their late 80s do this tithe for the first time they've never needed the money back not once because god is faithful now i let me also say this if you go home this afternoon and you turn on your cable channel and there's some guy saying pray over this prayer cloth with me and you're going to win a new lexus don't do that that's not what we're talking about at all in any way right it's not a get rich quick scheme at all what we're saying is God will take care of you if you put him first. And the church's role, by the way, is to make sure that you're taken care of no matter who you are on this planet because God is first. And, and that's always been the case at this church. If you're a member of our church, you will never go hungry, you will never be on the street, and you will get care that you need. That's our promise to you if you're a member of our church. If you, if you invest in what God's doing, we will make sure that we invest in you, and, and you will be okay. We've never seen that to be otherwise. As a matter of fact, when people lose their job in our church, uh, I tr- as soon as I find out, I call them or I try to take them to lunch, and we go and we find out what they are. What's your severance? Where are the gaps? How can we help? You're going to be okay. That's who we are. That's who God is. That's who God's church is. It's really important that we understand this. And Jesus told his followers what to expect ab- about this. Jesus said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me, what? Lead. You have to let Jesus lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am, Jesus says. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self help is no help at all. Self sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want in this life and lose you, the real you, Jesus says? By the way, I absolutely hate the bumper sticker that says Jesus is my co pilot. No, he's not. He's not. And if he is, he is in the wrong seat. Jesus is going to lead. If you want life that really is life, you see, you find your true self when we allow Jesus to lead. We find our true self when we allow Jesus to lead. Say that with me. We find our true self when we allow Jesus to lead. It's about our character that lives forever, our self, our picker, our will, the real us. And this isn't about um, how much money you make either. Because you could say, well, you're just you know, talking to the rich people or the middle class people. Or, no, no, no. This is for all people, for all time, every nation, every place. Because this is about who we are becoming in Christ. I love the story about Glenn James. Glenn James was a homeless man. He had been homeless in Boston for five years. Five years when he comes across a backpack outside a shopping mall. And you know what was in it? $40,000 in cash and traveler's checks. The man was homeless, and I want you to see what he said about this event. Glenn James says, even if I were desperate for money, you're homeless. No, 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 not in his mind. He says, even if I were desperate for money, I would not have kept even a penny of the money I found. I'm extremely religious. God has always very well looked after me, he says. God has always very well looked after me. A man who's been homeless on the Boston streets for five years. God's always taken care of me. God's always looked very well after me. How about you? Has God taken care of you? Compared to Glenn James? How are you doing? You see, Glenn James is going to do very well in heaven. Regardless of the temptation that comes by him, regardless of what, he is going to do just fine because he knows the things of God. His character has been formed in the ways of God and he's able to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons regardless of his circumstance. We should all be so lucky to become Glenn James. And, here's a desperate prayer, may we be homeless if that's what it requires. If that's what it requires. So that we can be fully formed in the people of God, to become the people that can be world changers by the power of God. Thank God for Glenn James and his witness to the world. You see, we are to give our first and our best to God. And then we, like Glenn James, can rest in him. We give our first and our best to God, and then we can rest in him. Then we can rest in him. That's a beautiful thing. I want to invite you today to give your first and your best to God. Because he's worth it. He's given everything for you and for me. Now, I'm going to share with you something that really took me aback when I heard it um, a number of years ago. Uh, many, many of you all know that Chantal and I have been crying most of the fall uh, because our youngest is about to go to college. He's in his senior year. Friday night was, you know, senior night. We're like, boo-hoo-hoo. So I, I get nostalgia, uh, nostalgic, and, I'm, and I look at stuff. And so uh, I was looking back, and this is Noah and I when I was coaching his um, tackle football team. Uh, a member of our church, John Arnold, was the coach. And so he invited me to be one of the assistant coaches, and we were running this tackling drill. Um, where the kids were just pounding each other. And, and John was, was tired of seeing the kids not do this very well. And he gathered them all around, and John said this. He said, listen up, kids. In football and in faith, particularly in tackling drills, it is better to give than receive when it comes to tackling and hitting. And I thought to myself, well, that is not exactly how I think that's supposed to go. But uh, I like it. I remember it. He's actually quoting Acts 20, 35. Okay? He says, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus. These are Jesus' own words. It is, Say it with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Give than receive, John says. And maybe not so violently today when you put in your pledge card. But, you know, now here's the thing that we can often misread. Is it a blessing to receive? Yes, of course it is. Um, I wore this outfit today uh, to share the blessings in my life. Many of you, as you came in, you're like, Pastor Mark, you look so nice. And I'm like, yes, I do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I do. Uh, I had to wait till it was under 80 degrees in November to pull this out. Um, but here's the thing. The watch that I wear every day was given to me by a young woman that Chantelle and I took in when her parents abandoned her. And, and they left for another state, and we took her into our home, and we cared for her. As she grew up and had a family of her own, uh, she thought of us, and, and she was deployed, she was military service, and she bought this, this watch from halfway around the world. And so every time I wear it, every time I put it on, every time I look at it, I think of her, and I thank God for her, and I pray for her. It's meaningful to me, because it was a gift to me. Is it a blessing to receive? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. It's a blessing to receive. This coat that I'm wearing is beautiful. It is luxurious, and I love it. But the reason I love it is because Dorothy Dunlap of our church gave it to me. It was her late husband's. She didn't want to just give it away because um, he created it in Italy when they lived over there. And so she gave it to me because she wanted to see it again, lived out into the world. So every time I put on this coat, I think of Dorothy, and I pray for her, and I think of her, and I'm blessed by her. So is it a blessing to receive? Yes, of course it is. It's a great thing to receive and to be blessed by God. And Chantel and I and Andy and his family and the staff of this church, we are greatly blessed by what you do for us. It is a blessing to receive. It is. And many of you all bless us regularly, and we are grateful, and we are thankful. But what Jesus says, it's more blessed to what? To give. And that's absolutely right. If I look back over the last number of years of my life, particularly this, this year, um, really the thing that I, I feel best about, that I feel great in my soul about, um, is what Chantal and I chose to do at Christmas. It was something I was asking the church to do, so I figured, you know, I better do it. And uh, so uh, many of you all know that we eat at Kudoba like three times a week. It's close, uh, and it's somewhat healthy. If I were to choose the healthy things, it would be healthy. Um, but, but anyway, so we're there, and, and one of the things that was interesting is uh, there's a girl that works there that's about our uh, same age as our oldest, and she's just working it. I mean, she's working and saving money. She's working two and three jobs to save enough money to go to school. Uh, unlike many of our families where the kids' families help, she doesn't have that. She's putting herself through school by working at a, you know, a minimum wage job, and she's working it. And the thing that struck us was this girl is grumpy. I mean, she's way too grumpy to be 19, just, you know, just a grump. And so, you know me, I'm like, hey, having a good day? And she's like, no. You know, and so <laughs> that's just how that is with us. And uh, so we decided, you know what? Uh, we're going to take uh, the bonus that we get from the church, part of that, and we're going to give it to her. We, th- we think that's, you know, somebody that's not a part of our family, not somebody that would expect it, just, and you know, we're gonna do that, so we wrote a note on the church, a uh, little, you know, stationary that we have, so she know the church was blessing her, and uh, we got so excited, so it was right before Christmas, and and we put a, a crisp new $100 bill in there for this girl that, that we didn't know from Boo other than, how you doing, and uh, we wrote a note to her and told her we were praying for, her and God bless her, and we, we come through the line. I'm, we, I'm like, we're less, like, we can't wait, like, ah, oh, today's the day. You know, we're real excited. And, um, and we go through the line and we say, hey, and we call her by name and we say, we've got something for you. And we give it to her. And, and, and I'm, I'm not saying she's a good employee. She immediately ran back to the back. She should have been working. And, and opened it up. And, um, and when, when she read the note and got the money, she just melted. I mean, everything just changed. It was like, like time just froze and she sprinted from the back of the kitchen out, came out into the line where we were, out into sort of the public area, and she pulled her uh, apron to the side, and with tears just streaming down her face, she just threw her arms around Chantel and around me. We're like, hey, this is new. Um, It was just the most beautiful thing. That's my favorite moment of my life over the last two, three years, Just, just to watch that grace be received and how that changed her. And I got like free chips for like three weeks, Like every time I went in there. But I mean, it happened. I'm just being honest. You see what I'm saying? Is it more blessed to give? Yes. More blessed to give than to receive. Is receiving good? Yes, of course it is. More blessed to give. More blessed to give. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, the scripture says. And the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly what? Blessed. And those who help others are what? Are helped. And Chantel and I, uh, did did we miss that $100? No. No. Of course not. It made a big difference in her life. And that's the thing that I'm coming to understand more and more as I get older. And that is not everything's the same around the world. Not everybody has the same situation that we have. Some have it easier. Some have it harder. It's not the same, friends. It's just not. And, And we're fooling ourselves and not being truthful if we think it is. A number of years ago, some of you helped me get to Nigeria. Now, the idea was that uh, myself and a few people from our church were going to go help people learn how to start churches. Uh, the church was about five years old at that time. And so we went to Nigeria. It was safer than it is today at that time. And we went and we saw a school uh, of kids and we, we, we got them stickers that they like to put on their heads for some reason. Uh, and, and school supplies and all this sort of thing so that they could begin to learn. And I went to the seminary in Amwaya outside of Lagos, um, which is where we flew into before we went up to um, Port Court and some other places to work uh, But when we came to the seminary I went to the rector And I was all excited Because I'd never been to Nigeria I'd never taught in a seminary before And I was like, yes, this is going to be great And so I went to the rector and I said Hey, hey, are we ready to go? you ready to learn about church planting? And he said, no I'm like, well, I just flew here from Oklahoma So, you know, what, what's going on? He said, no He said, um, we've been up all night fighting the rabbas I said, what? He said, we've been up all night They've been up all night fighting the rabbas and I said, I'm sorry, what? And he said, the armed men. He said, what happens is these young men come from all over the country with everything they own because they're going to be here three or four years. And it's going to take everything that they have to be able to get through their studies and buy the books that they need and have the food that they need. What happens are bandits and robbers and thugs follow them from their places of, of their homes. And they track them until they get where they're going. And then they set a plan and a trap to come and jump through the razor wire and the walls, and they attack us at night to take all of their belongings. He said, and, and most of these men are fortunate to be alive this morning. They attacked us at about 2. I was talking to him about 10 this morning. He said, so they're pretty shaken. Do you think you could just have a prayer service for us today, for these men? Could you just pray for us? Because they, they need the Holy Spirit to make it another day, because pretty much all of them lost everything they had except for their Bible and the clothes on their back. So could you just pray for us? I was like, yeah. So we did. We prayed for them. You, you see, what it means to be the church there is different than what it means to be the church here. It's not the same. For them, it costs them everything. They're very clear about this. And so then we go to an orphanage. And at the orphanage, they, they grab some yams. They call it fufu, and they, they work it together. They put a little bit of, uh, of herbs that they can find to make it taste like something, and they feed hundreds of children one time a day three or four workers for maybe 40, 50 kids, and they sit them down on the concrete. And the thing that struck me that I just I still can't get out of my head is these kids were silent. They didn't cry. They didn't fuss. They didn't play. They were malnourished. And and they were the lucky ones. This kid's name is Miracle. He was a miracle to be alive. And so they saved him. But when they placed them down against that wall, they didn't move, friends. They barely blinked because they've been so neglected, so abandoned, so hungry for so long, they were just on the edge of life and death. So when, at the end of my life, when I stand before the Lord and He says, where were you when I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat? Where were you when I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink? Where were you when I was naked and you did not clothe me? What am I going to say to Him? What are you going to say to Him? Because that lasts Forever. Forever. You understand what I'm saying? And so we can choose to do a little less this year, a little more this year. We, we can do that. But no, one day we will answer for our life, for all of it. And our bodies will pass. But who we are, our character, who we really are, like Glenn James, will last. And we'll say yes or no. And we will either celebrate or we will be ashamed. And I want to make it so that every person that rolls out of this church is gloriously happy to see the Father. I say, yep, I was there. We helped. We made a difference. I'm glad about it. Isn't that good? That'd be great. And you look forward to that day. You don't fear your passing, you welcome it. Because you have done the things that the Lord has asked us to do. You've let him lead and it is changing the world. We give our first and our best to God and we let the rest happen as God intends. So our action step is this. We do what God asks us to do. It's very clear. He says, tithe, give me 10%. That's the, that's the base standard. Now I know there are a lot of churches that will pat you on the back for giving 2 and 3%. We're not one of them. This is what God requires. This is what he asks and you can be mad at me about that all you want. This is not my rule. I didn't make it up. This is God talking. 10% of what comes in your home goes to God because what happens next is you'll say, well, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. If I actually did this, I mean, you're just being crazy now. If I did this, my whole life would have to change. I might have to live, drive a different car. I might have to live in a different home. I might have to wear different clothes. I might even have to change jobs if I took this seriously. That's the point. That's what God's trying to do. He's trying to force your hand so that you can actually live in the kingdom of God. Because if you're living exactly the same way you did before you tithe as after, then you're, you're still not getting it. This is about giving our whole life to God so that we might be transformed and look like him, look like his son, Jesus. But it doesn't just happen, right? You don't become an ostrich to a chicken to an eagle overnight. You have to make a plan that matures over time. And, and so Chantel and I, uh, we're going to give 11% this year. We're going to give more money to the church in 17 than we've ever given in our life. Every year, we try to give a little more, a little more. And by your generosity uh, and our planning, we're able to do that. So, so we'll do that. We hope you'll follow. And the thing is, start now. Start today. Wherever you are, start now. Take a step towards God. Say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Because here's the thing. No diet is ever effective that what? Starts tomorrow. Right? Anybody been on that diet that starts tomorrow? It does you no good, right? You got to start today. You you have to do it now. And so if if you do Twitter, I invite you to tweet this out. When we follow God's lead and give ourselves away, miracles happen. When we follow God, when we let God lead, when we give ourselves away, miracles happen. When God leads, when we give ourselves away, miracles happen. Amen?